Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Rudy Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani now says, oh, all that stuff I said about Donald Trump and Michael Cohen, uh, well, that was all hypothetical. Wait a minute. <laughs> he goes on to three TV shows, talks to the New York Times. It was all hypothetical. No, that's not the way it works, Rudy. Mr. President, get another lawyer. Hello, everybody. Here we go. It's Tuesday. It's Tuesday, January 22nd. It is a week from the State of the Union, which is not going to happen. Looks like it's not going to happen because, uh, you know, as well as I, the shutdown's not going to be over by then. Donald Trump doesn't want it to end. He wants it to drag on and on so he can continue to play the victim in the White House uh, and to um, get all the attention uh, be the center of attention. That's what he wants more than anything, and the shutdown is his way to do it. He doesn't give a rat's ass about the people who are hurting because of it, who will not get a paycheck, a second paycheck, not coming this Friday. Hello, everybody. Good to see you. Thank you so much for being part of the program here at the Bill Press Show. As we come to you live from Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day, uh, all about the shutdown, all about, yes, Rudy Giuliani continuing to flip-flop and go all over the place on his statements about uh, Michael Cohen. And the 2020 field was uh, sort of a dry run yesterday. They were all out for Martin Luther King Day. We'll look into that. And look forward to hearing from you and your comments on the news of the day. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, and the best parts of the program Hearing from you on Twitter, at BP Show. But first, this is the Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. Okay, so people are yes. still talking about that horrible no call during the New Orleans Saints uh, game. They should be talking about it. Sunday. I saw the video so many times yesterday. That was a bad, that, no, but not a, it was a missed call. It was a totally missed call, right? Yeah. All right, so right. you've now seen it. Well, 
People are trying to do something about it. In fact, two different eye clinics in Louisiana posted <laughs> that they will give free eye exams to any NFL referees for free. Louisiana Family Eye Care and Crystal Vision Center both tweeted and put on their Facebook page that they will give, gladly give free eye exams to any NFL referees. In fact, uh, Family eye, Louisiana Fi- Family Eye Care says, uh, after having time to consider things, we will gladly provide no-cost eye exams to all NFL officials prior to next season to prevent the atrocity that occurred this weekend. How could we- they not have? I mean, there's so many refs on the field. Yeah. How could they not have seen that? Yeah, it, it's it's it was a terrible, egregious. They also went on at the end to say, we would hate for someone else to feel our pain. So they're just saying for any other team, they don't want any other fans to go through this. So they're going to step up and provide free eye exams for NFL referees. No word on if any referees will take them up on it yet. Uh, by the way, you know, uh, in Europe, they put some major laws in place for data privacy rules, uh-huh. especially when you look at social media and Google and all of that stuff. Well, uh, they have just caught their first big fish. Google was fined. $57 million oh, right. by French regulators because uh. they violated their new data privacy rules. This is the first major penalty brought against a U.S. technology giant. Uh, these new regulations went into place last year. They said that Google failed to fully disclose to users how their personal information is collected and what happens to their personal information once Google gets their hands on it. It would be nice if we mm-hmm. could put something like that in place here in America. That would yeah, be great. Yeah, I mean, what are they waiting for? I don't know. Congress, are, they seem to be afraid, of, you know. Uh, I mean, I understand you're getting into maybe interfering with free speech, but, um, you know, there's also <laughs> right of privacy is as, as important as the right of free speech. These companies are gathering up our These information, and we don't know what they're are doing with absolutely it. trashing the Constitution and getting away with it. Mm-mm. This is the Bill Press Show. It is day 32 now, day 32 of the Trump shutdown. Don't forget to call it that. That's what it is. One man is responsible for the shutdown. One man is proud of it. One man doesn't want it to end. One man and one man only connects the wall with the shutdown. The two are totally unrelated and should not be tied together at all. Hello, everybody. Here we go. It's the Bill Press Show. Hey, how about it? Great to see you today. Good to have you part of the program as we boom out to you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. With all the news of the day on this very chilly Tuesday, January 22nd, uh, we are joining you online, on the radio, on television, on television, on Free Speech TV. How about it? Part of the DirecTV, the great DirecTV network all across this uh, great land of ours, on the radio statewide in Indiana, on Indiana Talks. We'll get Indiana back someday, uh, someday soon. And in Chicago, boy, it must be cold downtown Chicago with that wind whipping off the lake. I don't even want to think about it. Uh, Hello, Chicago. Hope you're holding up there on WCPT and, of course, online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. 
Welcome, welcome to the program. Great lineup of guests today. Daniel Lippman, who's the uh, co-author of the great playbook for uh, Politico, will be uh, joining us, as well as Chris Liu, former Deputy Secretary of the U.S. Department of Labor under President Obama, and Eliza Collins, who covers the Congress, particularly the Senate, for USA Today. Yeah, it is cold out there. don't mean to complain, but just to let you know that the Northeast uh, and you in the Midwest and in the Plains and in the Far West have experienced this cold before us. Now it has hit the Northeast. Um, it was 15 when I came in this morning, 11 when I came in yesterday morning. Uh, I noticed up in Boston this morning it is 10 degrees. Uh, in Worcester, Worcester, Massachusetts, 1 degree. So cold that even the um, Niagara Falls, I think it was the American Falls, one of the two falls, American Falls, uh, froze. <laughs> so you go up there to see Niagara Falls today, just go to see great big block of ice. Uh, Which is still pretty impressive, I can imagine. Pretty impressive, man. If you've been up there, and I've lived up there for three years, that water comes rushing down. The idea that that would really be able to stop that movement. Think about how cold it's got to be. Yeah. For that to happen. For absolutely. And uh, sadly, in Rhode Island, um, hundreds of thousands of uh, customers out of natural gas uh, because of the cold. Uh, Governor, over in Newport, Rhode Island, uh, which is one of the wealthiest little enclaves around there, uh, and uh, Governor Gina Raimondo uh, declaring yesterday a state of emergency. I've declared a state of emergency in Newport County and activated the National Guard to help us deal with this emergency. So very serious, very serious uh, cold conditions, and uh, just uh, bundle up, be I, careful. I, I'm really not trying to make light of this situation, but like... Ha- if you're stuck in a house with no heat during this kind of winter oh, cold, oh. that's about as bad as it gets. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. about as bad as it and gets. And I'm sure a lot of these people are elderly. You know, yeah, have, absolutely. Yeah. And they may not have a fireplace in the house. They don't have any other means of keeping warm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Pretty bad. Okay. Before we get into uh, some of the uh, uh, breaking, uh, some of the stories, you know, news stories of the day, I have to tell you, here's my favorite story of the day. Okay, Peter, uh, here's a test, Okay. Um, you can help me out here, okay? Okay. Yeah. Please uh, tell me how you um, pronounce the word F-U-C-T. I don't think I should say I don't think I should say it, Bill. <laughs> well, I think there's only one. Fuked? I don't think there, I think there's only one way to say it. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And think, you're not saying it, and yeah. I'm not going to say <laughs> okay, it either. All right. Okay, good. But here's what this is all about. Uh-huh. There is a new clothing company that uh, is marketing a brand of jeans okay. under the name F-U-C-T, okay. which stands for Friends You Can Trust. Oh. <laughs> I like it. Uh, I'm into it. I'm, I'm going to buy a pair. <laughs> I want that on my butt. Hype beast Bill Press. Yeah, perfect. Right. right. Anyhow, uh, listen to this now. They. This is why this is my favorite story. I can't today. imagine like a radio ad campaign for these jeans. Well, that's part of the problem. They, oh, okay. All right. They filed for a trademark. Okay. Uh, and the uh, trademark, uh, whatever board is, uh, not the board, but the trademark office, turned them down. Said no, we cannot have vulgarity, obscenities uh... as trademark. So the clothing company appealed to the um, 
uh, Trademark Appeals Board. And the appeals board said, no, can't have any vulgarity. They, they agreed with the office. Okay. So the clothing manufacturer uh, appealed to a federal judge. And the federal judge said, uh, no, you can't do this. But the, the, they said, yes, the, the rules do prohibit profanity, vulgarity. But at the same time, you know, that's sort of a violation of freedom of speech. Yeah, sure. So here it is. This case now goes to the Supreme no, Court. No, does it really? Yes. Oh, gee. And the Supreme Court has agreed to hear it. Good. And i got to tell you, I'm going to put in my request right now. I want to be in the courtroom. <laughs> Can you imagine? When the judges debate F-U-C-T. Yeah. I, I, I can't wait uh, to hear Clarence Thomas. Of course, you'll never hear him because no, he, he never says talk. anything. He doesn't speak. He doesn't but care. But any of the others. That would be great. I, I, that would absolutely be. I want to hear Ruth Bader Ginsburg say the word. Yeah. Yep. F-U-C-T. I want to hear Sonia Sotomayor, uh, Steve Breyer, uh, Steve, Samuel Alito, John Roberts. I want to. This is the. Brett uh, today, we're going to hear the case of <laughs> versus boom. <laughs> then they'll have to say it, right? I mean, they'll have to say it. Well, we don't know because there was another case in 2012 when they heard a, a, an argument about use of certain sure. words on television. Okay. This whole rule, there are certain words we can't say on the radio. Dirty, seven dirty words. Right. And in that case, when they heard the case, the court, the court clerk was instructed not to use the words. Oh, interesting. When they read the case out loud. Here's an idea. I'm just, just I'm just so I just want you to know, right? We're keeping you up to date. I think that's a great story. And if and if for whatever reason it doesn't work out for them, here's an idea. They should rename the company S H I D. So happy it's denim. <laughs> yes. Okay. And just see how that works. Maybe that'll work. Put that on the back of the pants. All right. So there you go. Yes, indeed. Up to date on Supreme Court. Watch for that hearing. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, yes, it was Martin Luther King Day yesterday, and of course, um, it was a day to uh, solemn, solemnize, if you will, and to celebrate uh, the legacy of one of our greatest Americans, certainly in our day, um, and to rededicate ourselves uh, to the mission and the goals of Martin Luther King and the values of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, as many people did yesterday, uh, it was former Vice President. Joe Biden joining the Reverend Al Sharpton. Actually, he and uh, Michael Bloomberg both joining uh, the National Action Network of uh, Reverend Al Sharpton uh, in New York. Here's uh, Joe Biden. The President of the United States make a moral equivalence between those who are spreading the hate and those who are opposing it. Uh, and um, he was preceded, actually, by Mike. All, all of these people have their eye on 2020, of course. Oh, yeah. They were out there for a dual purpose yesterday. Let's be honest about it. Uh, Michael Bloomberg making his first appearance as a tentative candidate. Whatever the next year brings for Joe and me, I know we'll both keep our eyes on the real prize, and that is electing a Democrat to the White House in 2020. And getting our country back on track. Michael Bloomberg, he is actually uh, seriously looking at it, I know for a fact, 
and pulling some people together and trying to figure out what would be the right lane for him. Uh, meanwhile, down in Atlanta, uh, it was uh, Senator Bernie Sanders um, talking about uh, very much, very much echoing the message of Martin Luther King Jr. that was uh, civil rights and economic rights, and they were both part of the same uh, crusade and same goal. Racial equality must be central to combating economic equality if we are going to create a government that works for all of us and not just the 1%. And, and uh, meanwhile, by, by the way, also Cory Booker spoke there. That was in South Carolina in the state capitol uh, in Columbia yesterday with Senator Bernie Sanders. Uh, Senator Cory Booker was also there. And Senator Kirsten Gillibrand uh, spoke also at the national, uh, at the um, Reverend Sharpton event. I know Elizabeth Warren was also out there yesterday, I'm sure. Every, Everybody every, had an event. Every Everybody single candidate an was an ev- at an event. And, of course, um, President Trump, he also marked the day with uh, due solemnity and making uh, uh, and, and just hammering home uh, the message of Dr. Martin Luther King and how much he agreed with Dr. L- Martin Luther King's vision uh. Uh, and in his uh, very, very moving statements to the nation on Martin Luther King Day. Here is President Trump. It's a great day. It's a beautiful day. And thank you for being here. Appreciate it. All right. There he is, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh, no. That can't be all. That can't be all, no? I mean, that's all he said. That's no, all he did. No. Don't, don't you have the rest of the speech? I, I, that's it. That's literally it. Yeah. Yes, ladies and gentlemen. As a matter of fact, the President of the United States marked Martin Luther King yesterday by leaving the White House, going to the Martin Luther King Memorial with Vice President Pence and uh, the acting Secretary of Interior, whatever his name is, uh, three white guys walking up to the statue, putting a wreath down, getting back in the car, going back to the White House. They were that they were at the Martin Luther King Memorial for two minutes. That's I not mean, a joke, wait, by the way. Getting, That's not a joke. No, no, no. Getting out of the car. That includes getting out of the car, walking in, putting the wreath down, making his profound statement. There. Here it's it is. It's a great day. It's a beautiful day. And thank you for being here. Appreciate it. We're not sure which of the White House communications team wrote the president's speech yesterday. Which <laughs> maybe maybe that will be revealed later. But, and with those comments and walking back to the car, total time elapsed. Two minutes. You know. Other than that, he did absolutely nothing to mark Martin Luther King Day. He said absolutely nothing. He didn't even tweet out about it. No. No. no which, is the, which is the biggest insult, because we know he's got time to tweet. Well, we've tweeted about everything else. Yesterday. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, it, it, was, it was so interesting, because yesterday morning when we were doing the show, uh, you said that he had no event scheduled. Nothing. Right. He was not going to do else. anything for Martin Luther King Day. And that was the case. That, that They had nothing planned. And so then Trump, uh, they put out a statement saying, oh, this was just a nice little surprise visit uh, to the Martin Luther King Memorial. Surprise to who? Trump? Like, I think he was the one most surprised by it because there was nobody there to surprise. No. No, there's nobody there. There was, there was nobody no, there. There was no crowd. There was no, no, there was no, that was not an event. No. No. All it was, was somebody said, oh, Jesus, we better yep. do something here. You that's know. exactly yeah. right. Right. All right. And we said yesterday, you know what? Fine. If he's not going to do anything, that's fine. Because he could also totally screw this up 
and it would be bad. And you know what? He felt the need to do something, and he totally screwed it up, and it was bad. Right. Uh, Yes. Meanwhile, of course, I didn't say anything yesterday, but it was yesterday, day 31, today, day 32 of the uh, shutdown. Um, And again, I've told, (laughs) as I said before, uh, I'll say it again, I still think... Um, well, first of all, it's not going to be resolved today, which means Friday, the second paycheck due for 2019, 800,000 federal employees will not get a paycheck, including the Coast Guard again. Let's just go through them. The Coast Guard, the Secret Service, TSA, Air Traffic Controllers, National Park Service, the Forest Service, Department of Agriculture, Food Inspectors, the, Natural, the National Transportation Highway Safety Board. Uh, across the board, very, very important services that are not being provided, number one, to the American people who depend on them. Uh, yesterday we mentioned 74. That was two days ago. There were 74 major either highway or air traffic or air travel crashes, fatalities, uh, that were not being investigated because there are no uh, transportation board inspectors available to go out and look at these scenes. I mean, so vital services not being provided. And again, 800,000 families who um, are not getting a paycheck again, and still, they still have to meet, they still have to pay their bills. And a lot of them, most of them, don't have adequate savings to carry them for a month or two months, and God knows how it's going to drag on, so how I, long it's going to I, drag on. I, I, I was having a conversation yeah. with my youngest child about this yesterday, who turns 11 uh, this week. Yeah. And he was saying, well, they're getting some sort of payment, right? And I said, no, they're not no. getting any payment. They have, been, they have been forced to work without pay for a month. And he says, why are they still going to work? Well, and I said, well, that's, that, I think you could credit our insane system that we have here in this country. Because I'll tell you what, man, no other country no. would ask their employees to go to work for a month and not get paid. And expect them to just... And expect them to do it. Do it. There'd right. be riots in the streets, protests in the streets. Right. They would be losing their minds. It would not and happen. we just accept it. It would not happen in France, would not happen in the UK, would not happen in Germany. No and way. so, again, I, I said that here's the best way to... The one way to end this, end this shutdown, air traffic controllers and TSA employees stay home. Just pick one day. Pick a day. Say Friday. Paychecks are due. We don't have them by Friday. We're all going to stay home Friday. Or how about this? How about the day before the Super Bowl or the two days before the Super Bowl in Atlanta? Uh, and just shut down air travel in this country. The shutdown would end like that. These cowardly Republicans in the Senate would be forced finally to turn to the American people and turn against the madman in the White House. That's what it's going to take, something like that. Totally disrupt our economy. Totally shut down air travel for one day. It, that's one way to end the shutdown. As the head, Sarah Nelson, who's the head of the flight attendants union yesterday, indicated, uh, even if they don't do that, the whole thing is starting to unravel. And here's what we could be facing. Super Bowl fans, beware. And as this starts to uh, crumble and unravel, we're going to see mass flight cancellations. We're going to see a system that completely unravels and falls apart. We will not have private jets taking off to get people to the Super Bowl. No one will be able to get to Atlanta. This is going to have a massive economic impact. Yeah, it already is having a massive economic impact. Could be even worse, and particularly with 
uh, with air travel. It, it, it's just unconscionable to think of these people forced into work every day uh, and not getting paid for it. There was a story yesterday about the holiday weekend, uh, which I, I don't associate MLK weekend with a huge travel weekend, but there, there were people traveling because yeah. it was a long weekend. And there were crazy lines at the airport. 10% down. There were... 10% down. That, yeah, in for, Atlanta. Uh, f- yeah, for employees showing up to work right. at, at TSA, they are yeah. down 10%. And they looked at it from a year ago, the same holiday weekend, and it was 3%. So people are starting to call out, not enough, which now that creates a bigger problem because they are still right. enough people <laughs> to sort of make it work, but in a very, very painful way for both the workers and the travelers. And again, as we've discussed so often, that the problem here is that Donald Trump has put two things together that should never be put together. He's put together a government shutdown and what happens at the border, which he claims is a humanitarian crisis and a national security crisis, neither of which are true. Again, we keep repeating ourselves, but border crossings, people coming across the southern border, it's a 50-year low. And all of his claims about drugs coming across the border. In fact, very important story in the New York Times this morning. There's this trial going on in New York, the El Chapo trial, right? Oh, yeah. Now, the El Chapo trial is not about the wall. But, in effect, the El Chapo trial is a total, totally totally contradicts everything that Donald Trump is saying about the wall. (laughs) Because it points out the 10 weeks of testimony so far in El Chapo's trial reveal that all of this, all these drugs that he was bringing into the country, this is in the testimony from El Chapo, right? He was, they were being, being brought in in passenger cars, concealed in trucks in cans of jalapenos, nice, or stashed in tanker trains with ordinary loads of cooking oil. And others were sent beneath the border in sophisticated tunnels. Wait, wait, you mean beneath the border? That's something that you can do? You can tunnel? In tunnels. (laughs) So all of the drugs for so many years that El Chapo and his team smuggled inside the United States came either through ports of entry, the vast, vast majority of them, or some of them through tunnels (laughs) under the uh, fencing that now exists uh, just proves that when Donald Trump says there's a crisis or that the wall is going to stop it is simply not true. And people people buy that. And uh, uh, again, I think Democrats are right. Reopen the government. Then we'll talk about border security. But just to show you how far we have gone in buying and swallowing Donald Trump's false claims about this crisis at the border. Uh, Over the weekend, uh, just at the end of last week, a federal judge in Arizona convicted four women of leaving jugs of water in the desert in case immigrants were coming through and were thirsty and needed needed water just to survive. Four women, by the way, they also left some food, cans of beans. Four women convicted. They were arrested by the border agents, brought to trial by your tax dollars and mine, 
convicted, I'm sure, by a Trump-appointed judge, but anyhow, a federal judge, convicted of leaving water and food in the desert in case immigrants needed didn't, needed it. Didn't we just see a young child die of dehydration mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at the border? Yeah. And okay. didn't Jesus say something about, I was thirsty and you gave me to drink, I was hungry and you gave me to eat, and when you did this for the very least of these, you did it for me? Whatever happened to that? You mean Jesus the undocumented immigrant? Yeah, right. Yeah. Isn't it disgusting? It's terrible. It's terrible. Four women probably sent to prison or at least have to pay a big fine for doing the Lord, literally doing the Lord's work. This is who we are now. This, this is, is what our country is. This is who we are as a country, thanks to Donald Trump. He has, he has spread that hatred of immigrants to the point where uh, we would not even um, do something to help them survive. Uh, yes. And meanwhile... Can you help me out? I can't understand what the hell Rudy Giuliani is saying. <laughs> I can't help you. I mean, it is so crazy. Every day he changes his story, right? So we know that <laughs> Michael Cohen said that he lied to Congress originally. He admitted that. He's going to go to jail for this for three years. He lied to Con- that and other things. He lied to Congress about how how long the negotiations for the Trump tower in Moscow went in 2016. So then BuzzFeed reports that actually Donald Trump instructed him to lie. And as we read the tweet or the statement yesterday from the special counsel, Robert Mueller, Mueller said, well, that's not entirely true. He sort of left it like a little fuzzy. Then Rudy gets into the act and Rudy just messes it up. Rudy said two days ago, It's our understanding that the talks with Michael Cohen went on throughout 2016. Not a lot of them, but the president can remember having conversations with Cohen Cohen about it, probably up to, could be up to as far as October, November. He told the New York Times two days ago, the Trump Tower Moscow discussions were going on from the day I announced. No, he quoted Donald Trump saying, <laughs> Trump telling him. This quoted Rudy quoting Trump directly. The Trump Tower Moscow discussions were going on from the day I announced to the day I won, says Donald Trump, according to Rudy Giuliani. And then yesterday he says, oh, that was all hypothetical. He says, Trump remembers talking with Cohen about Trump Moscow, but when he said that, that it went up to November, that was hypothetical and not based on conversations with the president. As Anderson Cooper last night pointed out, first of all, Anderson read uh, Rudy's latest comments. Today's trick, Rudy Giuliani said it, it was all hypothetical. Here's what he shared on social media. My recent statements about discussions during the 2016 campaign between Michael Cohen and then-candidate Donald Trump about a potential Trump-Moscow project were hypothetical and not based on conversations I had with the president. So Anderson points out, wait a minute, you quoted him directly. Okay, keeping him honest, I, I always thought that when you directly quote somebody, it means that somebody actually said it. Rudy Giuliani directly quoted the president. 
There's no such thing as a hypothetical attributed direct quote. It's not the way the English language works. <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Why does Donald Trump keep putting Rudy Giuliani out on television? I don't get it. I don't get it. Every day the story changes. I think we can, you know what? I think we can safely conclude that Rudy Giuliani, I mean, that Donald Trump and Michael Cohen were still dealing on that Moscow Trump Tower Hotel right until November 2016 because Donald Trump didn't expect to win the presidency and he thought he'd be spending the next year building that Trump Tower in yep. Moscow. Yep. Right. And that Michael Cohen did lie to Congress about it and Donald Trump told him to. Uh, we're just getting started today. Need some help. We'll get it from Daniel Lippman, who is co-author of the great playbook on Politico. Coming up next here on the Bill Press Show. Uh, give us a quick break and then we'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. On a Tuesday, January 22nd. Uh, yeah, chilly Tuesday here in Washington, D.C., uh, it's about 15 degrees. I know you've probably had worse, but that's pretty cold for us. But here we are, nonetheless, the Bill Press Show, coming to you live from Washington, D.C., in our studio on Capitol Hill, and brought to you today by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, the good men and women of the Teamsters Union under President Jim Hoffa. We all live better because of their good work, as you will find out if you go to their website at teamster.org and uh, braving the cold as well this morning uh, from Politico and um, the great playbook. Sign up for it already if you have a sign up for it if you haven't already. Uh, co-author Daniel Lipman. Hello, Daniel. Man about town. Thanks for having me. How are you? Good, Good. to see you. Good to see you, it's too. It's chilly out there, isn't it? With that wind factor, it really mm, drives it. Cuts right yeah, through. I'd hate to be one of those federal workers who you know, have to pay heating bills. You know, yeah, right. Not to be no. all serious, but that is a real concern. You know? Absolutely a real concern, particularly uh, you know in this in the Northeast uh, these days. Uh, Daniel, before we uh, jump in and get your take on some of the news of the day, we've been at it for a little over half a year. Indeed. Got some comments on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. You can find us there on any topic at any time to uh, share your thoughts. Uh, Luna says, asking the people who are being targeted to bear another burden of Trump is unconscionable. Trump will fire them all if they stay home. This, of course, talking mm. about the federal workers who are being forced to work without pay. KG says, uh, somebody should offer jobs to any TSA agent who chooses to quit during the shutdown. Uh, amen. Uh, Donald, not that Donald, but Donald, a listener to the show, says, uh, when DT, Donald Trump, does not speak, he speaks volumes, as in his MLK wreath, quote, speech that he gave yesterday uh and phil our buddy phil who we've talked about he was there whenever some federal workers uh uh marched in front of the white house oh right there is going to be a federal workers protest at the hart senate office building tomorrow at noon so this will be wednesday at noon uh, the 23rd, January 23rd, there will be a federal workers protest at the Hart Senate office building. It's called hashtag Occupy Hart. Uh, I would suggest everybody go check it out if you can. Uh, that's good to know. Phil is the one who told us about the march in front of the White House about yeah. a week ago, which I we hadn't heard anything about. And I happened to be down in the neighborhood, in fact, at Joe's, going to Joe's <laughs> restaurant. And uh, I was amazed. There were thousands and thousands wow. of people there in front of the White House, um, federal employees. Uh, that was about a week ago, uh, last week, one day, early in the week. 
So another one tomorrow, Peter, Wednesday. Uh, it's Wednesday, yeah, Wednesday of this week. So check it out if you're in the D.C. area. Right. Uh, so, Daniel, yesterday um, most of the city was shut down in, in addition to the shutdown, on top of the shutdown for Martin Luther King Day. Um, and there were tributes to Martin Luther King uh, uh, across the country from many, many leading officials. Uh, the president uh, made his very moving comments uh, yesterday, um, a very profound a profound message, I thought, about uh, the vision and the legacy of Martin Luther King when he visited the Martin Luther King Memorial. We don't have time to play the entire speech. Well, actually, we do have time yeah, to play time. the entire speech, his entire remarks yesterday to Mark Martin Luther King Day. Here he is, President Trump. It's a great day. It's a beautiful day. And thank you for being here. Appreciate it. There you go. Well, that's very. That's a. Uh, that was it from the heart. That's crazy. They know it's, it's nuts. Uh, there's. I think mean, uh, people uh, you are know, tone deaf. It's a uh, you know he he remember in those rallies he would say my my one African American supporter oh yeah so I'm I'm reminded of that where he, yeah. he doesn't he knows that most African Americans will not vote for him and a lot of minorities uh, also are not fans. Uh, I was reading the Times just as I was getting in here, and it mentioned how you know Trump is building what they called a monument on the southern border to uh, sentiments that often come out of racial sentiments in terms of a border wall. Mm-hmm. Like we're we're not talking about a border wall with Canada, even though triple the number of terrorist suspects come through that border. Although obviously it's not the huge crush of. Uh, illegal migrants, undocumented migrants who come through the Mexican border because yeah. most Canadians are not looking to enter Donald Trump's America. But, uh, and a lot of Central Americans, they see uh, the U.S. still as a land of opportunity, uh, even with President Trump. And so they can, you know, make a better life for their family, and that's reason enough to come. And um, the president uh, famously saying he didn't, we didn't need any more people from those S-hole countries, <laughs> right? Um, and uh, uh, but the idea that um, even if it might have appeared phony, the idea to like basically do nothing on Martin Luther King Day except two minutes two for two minutes he went down the entire visit to the Martin Luther King Memorial lasted, including those remarks. I think two his, his communication staff must be thinking either they don't care about the optics or they thought that it would be a losing argument for them to argue with. President Trump to get him to say a more profound remarks, or they thought that maybe he would commit an own goal if he started mm-hmm. speaking substantively about, uh, you know, Martin Luther King. Well, yeah, God knows where he would have gone, right? And um, uh, he may have gone the same place that Mike Pence went the day before, who uh, alleged or sort of or suggested that were he alive today, Martin Luther King Jr. would be supporting Donald Trump's wall. Right. And which, which this really comes pissed and, off a lot of people, and this <laughs> including all, I'm sorry, including Martin Luther King's yeah. son. And this all comes as uh, you know, Senator, former Senator Harris Wafford. He passed away. Uh, oh no, a, I didn't you know a day or so ago. I didn't. And he I, was, God, of course, that. Well, uh, you know, the senator from Pennsylvania yeah. a long time ago, and he uh, worked hard on civil rights. And so uh, that it, you know, that's kind of a passing of an era. Era in terms of uh, you know, Wofford was well known in in our country, and uh, he had his you know moment of uh, in the sun. Yeah, absolutely. He was a he was a great senator from Pennsylvania, and 
and probably more responsible than anyone for introducing the idea of um, universal health care. That yeah. was his big, big, uh, big issue. Um, on, on, on the wall, um, you said you're reading the New York Times, and I mentioned just before you came in, uh, I was struck by the um, story about the El Chapo trial, which is going on in New York. Yeah. In, 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 it has, in one sense, it has nothing to do with the wall, but in another sense, it does, because all the testimony about how El Chapo got all of those drugs into the United States just very ref- relevant to refutes everything Donald Trump is saying about the need for the wall. Uh, as the as the Trump uh, Times points out, uh, El Chapo they've tested the the prosecutors have shown that the drugs came in hidden in passenger cars. I mean, at ports of entry, yeah. hidden in passenger cars, concealed in trucks in cans of jalapeno peppers, <laughs> or I, I love this, stashed in tanker trains. With ordinary loads of cooking oil, wow! And those that did not come in in ports of entry, some of them, a very small percentage, were smuggled beneath the border in tunnels. Yes, we have to look out for the tunnels. That's a uh, so this idea that first of all the wall is where the drugs are coming in. Yeah. Donald Trump says it in every speech. He said it Saturday from the White House again. Right? Need the wall to stop the drugs coming in? No, that's not going to uh, in Democrats. They want to show that they are tough on border security, and so they talk about spending hundreds of millions of dollars more to protect those ports of entry that uh, we just talked about and how to harden those defenses and to add border agents and to get better you know, screening and detection of this stuff uh, because a lot of things can just cross the border when you're you know, – if you're smart enough, you can outfit your car with uh, drugs to get through uh, and – this you know kind of reminds you of Homeland in terms of how things happen. Right. Um, on the shutdown, everybody's asking the question, how long is the shutdown going to last? We never thought it would last this long. But we've been asking here on the show a different question, which is why are these essential employees still coming to work when they're not getting paid? Can you imagine in Europe if – in France, if they said, "Okay, everybody's got to come to work," you're not going to get paid, but you still have to come to work. <laughs> they, they would, they would give them the big, you know, revolt. Well, America's different from Europe, and I think a lot of the federal workers, and I've talked to some of them there, uh, very dedicated to the cause, and they, uh, you know, they know that it's important to provide this public service, and you know, obviously, they don't uh, like the nonsense from. Uh, Washington in terms of not getting paid, but if you're essential, you don't. These people they went into public service not just for the money. If you know, that, if they, if they did that, then they would uh, they wouldn't last very long, or they would go into the private sector where they could make triple the amount of money. And so the well, I was you're just, absolutely no, you're absolutely right. And and you know, AFG for example, American Federation of Government Employees, one of the sponsors of this show, President J. David Cox, a good friend. They're they're great, great people. They are dedicated. They work for peanuts, and and it's because they do believe in what they're doing. At the same time, we're taking advantage of them. The government, Donald Trump's taking advantage of them. The Republicans in Congress are taking advantage of them. And at some point, it just seems to me they ought to get their back up and say, wait a minute. Yeah, we're dedicated, but we're not fools, right? You can't make us work for nothing. Yeah. Uh, and I think if there was more 
Right. You know, TSA workers, they don't want to shut down the skies until this happens and so until they resolve this. And, you know, you can imagine President Trump that even if there were no TSA workers, he might still keep the government shut down and it wouldn't uh, I don't resolve. think so. You don't think so? No. I think if the TSA went out, if, if they called one day, TSA one day, even better if the air traffic controllers go the same day. But even TSA alone could do it. They could shut this country down. The and the air draft c- controllers. And they they remember when they struck during uh, when they right. went on strike. Yeah, right. And they were all fired, and uh, there was new ones that were put in place because, uh, and they they promised I, not I, to do that again. So. I, I know they did. I know what the law says. It's against the law. They are not allowed to strike. I, I, I'm radical me, right? I would say they should strike and defy the government to to fire them all. All, to fire where all are we the gonna TS- fi- Where are we going to find like uh, thousands of more? No, exactly. That's the point. No, you control. would not That's be able point. to. Yeah. They would not. If you take a one-day action, they could not fire everybody, and they certainly could not fire enough people. Uh, find enough people to take their place. You know, it's, it's it would cause a, it would cause a sh- it would cause a big impact on our economy if people totally, can't get to totally and totally. It, it would I, add to the impact. I think it will take that to get Donald Trump to act. I mean. I think it's sick disagree. what we've done in this country. I do too. I think it's absolutely. The sick. workers have the power. Yeah, they have the power to stop. Don't this. ever forget that. And I think they should exercise the power and stay home. There it is. Well, there we go. Well, we'll we'll see if lots of TSA workers are listening to this <laughs> on their ride to work, which is probably costing them money with gasoline. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Of course. Right. But but if it did... so, how long do you think this is going to drag on, and what's well, it going to take to stop it? I don't have a crystal ball, but what's going to take is that uh, there's got to be a meeting between Trump, Pelosi, and Schumer. And oh, they've walked. I know another meeting. Well, the uh, he hasn't attacked Pelosi with a nickname yet, and that's something that. uh, And my favorite story is how uh, Pelosi used to go up to New York to ask for money from President uh, from Donald Trump, then Citizen Trump, uh, and he would oblige. Uh, when you know she was raising money in the yeah uh, you know a decade or so ago before uh, well, all he of gave this gave money to Hillary too or he gave money to any Democrat to any politician actually that yeah. asked for it mostly I don't think a lot but he gave money the right. um, let, let me suggest another uh, way to end it which is for Mitch McConnell to show a little backbone and take the bills that have already passed the House or the bill that passed the Senate in December and vote on it which o- reopens the government. Uh, and provides a lot of money for border security, but no money for the wall. Republicans and Democrats yeah. in the Senate, a hundred to zero, voted for it. And I guess why not do that? I would. The addendum I would make to what I said earlier is that if those TSA workers went on strike, the that would increase pressure on the senators, not just Donald Trump. You know, yeah, if right. if he doesn't care what they do, that's one thing. But senators and Mitch McConnell, they might be moved to act uh, based on that, but we don't know. Right. Um, yesterday, um, we had a um, another candidate jump in. Yes, we did. Jump in, huh? With Kamala Harris? Uh, uh, I think we're starting to separate like the um, almost, well, let's, let's just, I don't want to get too pejorative here. The not so serious from the serious candidates, right? Yep. Uh, I'd have to put John Delaney from Maryland and the not so serious, right? He's a good guy, though. He is a good yeah. guy. I like him. Has he been on the show? Um, no, he has not. You been should on the ask. Show. I'm yeah. sure he would do it. Uh, yes, right. <laughs> Richard Ojeda from West Virginia said not so serious. I'm not saying they're Who not. Who's Richard? Bit. 
What Richard Ojeda. Richard Ojeda. Ojeda, I'm sorry. Check him out. Okay. He's announced. Okay. Got it. Uh, 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 he's a former Navy SEAL, Peter, right? Isn't he? Or... Yeah, he, uh, I think Navy SEAL is right, but he is, he's got like a military style haircut. He is jacked beyond belief, and he's happy to show you his muscles. Oh, yeah. wow. He like He's done like a couple of shirtless ads when he was running. I forgot what he ran for in the in midterms, West. but he did not win. Right. But it was in West Virginia. So now I think almost the test is, uh, we're watching on the TV here, if yeah. you get a CNN town hall, just... Uh, yeah, yeah. there was one they were announcing one with Senator Kamala Harris uh, moderated by I think Jake Tapper yeah. and that's kind of that indicates that you're in the big leagues right okay you so, so some of certainties so far are not serious I think you'd, you'd agree you'd have to put Kamala Harris in the serious category yep. that, right? that uh, you know she has a, a record that she wants to run on uh, but she is largely unknown to most Americans uh, within the political class, she's been talked about for years as a yeah. potential president. But uh, it's you know, there's with so many candidates out there, it's going to be hard for her to find her lane. What? Why do? Why would people vote for her instead of a Joe Biden or Elizabeth Warren? You know, Joe Biden kind of represents the establishment, uh, and Warren and Sanders they're more on the left, uh, and Kamala Harris has tried to. Uh, you know, weave in between. But uh, if you watched her campaign announcement video, you know, I think there was a lot to appeal to young people. It seemed felt to me a little gimmicky, but it was one minute long. I thought it was pretty good. You know, but uh, it jumped around a question. I'm not. I'm not here supporting her. Yeah. I, I, but you know, what she she's young. Uh, she's a woman. Yeah. She's a woman of color. Yeah. Right. Uh, she's a uh, former attorney general, former prosecutor. Now that you could, could definitely see her as a VP candidate uh, if she doesn't get the top slot, where uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris that that would attract a lot of uh, Democrats to rally around, and and maybe he would he would say, uh, you know, I'm going to only do one term, and it and it as much as Democrats love Beto O'Rourke, if you have a Joe Biden Beto O'Rourke ticket. It's way too early to talk about this, but that's right. two white guys, and the party is not – that's not – represents the future, and it doesn't represent what they want to show to the American people and to their voters saying, actually, we don't really – we don't need to listen to minorities. We're not going to try another woman. But if you have, like, at least have the first female vice president, that's a huge landmark. Right. Uh, one thing I thought that was uh, smart on Kamala Harris's part is uh, – well, first, one other thing she's got going for her I just want to mention – is that the primary landscape has changed so that California, which was always the caboose on the train, yeah. something that I fought as Democratic state chair of California uh, unsuccessfully to change, now has finally been changed. So the California primary is one month after Iowa. That's huge yeah. and a lot of money, very, yeah. very expensive. And she is certainly, you're right, most American people don't know who she is, but California course, they do, yeah. right? She's been elected statewide twice. Although Iowa, if you so, if you're a candidate and you win Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina, and you're not Kamala Harris, it's it's going to be harder for uh, someone like her to. They'll know, have a head start, but still, she's got you know she she doesn't she doesn't have to work as hard to win California yeah, as obviously. other people will, yeah. you know, which is sort and of spend as much money on that. But the other thing I like about it is she's established our national headquarters in Baltimore. Yes. Yeah. Which I thought was a statement. It is. And, and we pointed out in Playbook, you know, a faraway land, very far from the swamp and the beltway. Yeah, I know. I saw your story <laughs> yesterday. Yeah. And uh, her West Coast office will be in Oakland. Oakland yeah. Right. 
Uh, no, I think it, you, you need to have a East Coast uh, headquarters for logistical reasons. It makes it easier for Washington operators, operatives to work there instead of having to move all the way to California. Right. Um, so um, there was someone else that appeared yesterday um, at a political event of yeah. uh, showcasing people who uh, certainly have their eye on 2020. You mentioned Vice President Biden. He was there with Al Sharpton yesterday. But so was a former mayor of New York. Michael Bloomberg. (laughs) Michael Bloomberg and former Republican. Here he is. Whatever the next year brings for Joe and me, I know we'll both keep our eyes on the real prize, and that is electing a Democrat to the White House in 2020. And getting our country back on track. Uh, interesting. Yeah. That, that a former Republican mayor of New York running, obviously looking at seriously running as a Democrat for president. Now this guy is. And what's changed. his lane? I think his lane was the uh, <laughs> this the you know the centrist uh, person who's proven to be a very effective administrator. Uh, you know, he's very pragmatic, practical, uh, and he. But he also can tap into two big issues that drive a lot of Democrats: is climate change, which he, you know, he spent uh, yeah. hundreds of millions of dollars, um, you know, to Sierra Club and other groups fighting coal, uh, and also guns. Uh, he is a critical Absolutely. part of yeah. the anti of the gun control he, movement, uh, and so that that helps him a lot. Uh, the every this. town organization yeah. that he that he's, and he's, he's I mean, kind he, of technocratic and yeah. you often the next the president after the previous president is the opposite and so no one questions Michael Bloomberg and how he would be up for the job uh, you know even if you disagree with his policies he's kind of he would be the opposite of Donald Trump there's not I can't imagine there's going to be a ton of chaos in a Bloomberg White House it's interesting the two of them with, that we've been talking about. So some people have been critical, are already critical of Kamala Harris, saying, you know, she was so gung ho for the death penalty, right? That she's uh, there was on, a New York Times op-ed by um, ba- uh, Laura Bazelon, right. which made the point that you know she would, uh, you know, she let people who were unjustly convicted to stay in prison. Right. So that's a rap on her, and a similar rap on Michael Bloomberg. While he does get credit for the gun safety issue, for the climate change, and for being a pretty good mayor of New yeah. York. Um, that that was the stop and frisk days, yeah, yeah, yeah. which was a very unpop, very bad policy, I believe, a certainly unpopular policy, particularly in the African American community. But the fact that Al Sharpton invited him to speak indicates that maybe and he's not he's not tarred as you know as much with that as that makes it a non-starter. If he was right. if he that was a, if there was a different policy where he was you know completely wrong on, then that would hold him back more. Okay, can you, we just have about a minute and a half left, but so um, can you explain Rudy Giuliani to me? <laughs> um, he seems to have gone off the rails a little bit uh, yeah. in recent days. He but, even looks crazy when he gets on television, but <laughs> the best part was how he, he gave an interview to the New Yorker's Isaac Chotner, and he uh, said he had gone through all the you know transcripts and the tapes and about you know, looking for any news about Michael Cohen and Trump and and Russia the Russia deal, and Chotner was like, "Wait, there are tapes," and Rudy's like, "No, nah, actually, no. Nah, I meant to say I didn't, I didn't mean to say tapes." And so Whoops. we we said in playbook uh, that it was a uh, you know another little gem from Rudy's comments where he totally 
you know, what do we, what, what can we believe from what he's saying? Because he's switching sides every, he's switching positions every time. But also, he's laying the groundwork for us to uh, kind of be numb to some of these scoops. You know, in a, if in a few months it's revealed that uh, Trump said some of the stuff that uh, Rudy is hinting at, then they can say, well, it's just old news. You know, Rudy, Rudy talked about Rudy. this on uh, the Sunday shows uh, in, back in January. Right. Uh, how do people sign up for Playbook? You go to politico.com slash playbook and uh, free, uh, you know, blue button at the top right hand corner of the page. You can get it every day. All right. And you must get it. If you want to know yes. what's going on. Absolutely. Daniel, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you, Bill. Secretary Chris Liu coming up next. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Rudy Giuliani trying to play cleanup <laughs> yet again on his comments about Donald Trump and Michael Cohen and that uh, Trump Tower in Moscow. <laughs> uh, the more he tries to clean up, the worse it gets, I think. But uh, Trump keeps him out there for some reason. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? It is uh, Tuesday, January 22nd. This is the Bill Press Show. We are, as always, in our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., booming out to you coast to coast on the radio, online, and on television. It's good to have you with us today. Uh, another busy day, another news-filled day. Congress coming back in town. And Mitch McConnell vowing, uh, while he has allowed no votes at all in the Senate, not even any debate or discussion on the several bills that have been passed by the House of Representatives to reopen the government, uh, Mitch McConnell has vowed to put up, bring up as early as today uh, Donald Trump's plan uh, to reopen the government, which is, you give me everything I want, forever, permanent, and I will give you three years for the uh, Dreamers program, to which most Democrats, I think every single Democrat so far, has said no deal. Helping us through this next hour is a friend to Bill, uh, our good friend Chris Liu, who is a, a member of the DNC and also a former Deputy Secretary of Labor under President Obama. Chris, it's good to see you. It is great to be here. You know, I was chuckling about Rudy Giuliani. I can't decide if he's a worse lawyer or a worse public relations person, <laughs> but I, I hope well, he's billing by the hour because he has to clean up every mess he makes, so he gets to bill no, no, twice. No. Every time he's on television, then he has, <laughs> every to, clean single up, time. Then he has to clean up the every cleanup. Every single yeah. time. No, I told you. I think he's worse. Both, by the way. <laughs> worse lawyer and worse uh, communicator uh, as well. Uh, we got so much to talk about with Chris and with all of you. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show, and we'll get right into it. But first, 
This Peter. is the Full Court Press. All right, and What's just a couple of other stories making news. It's movie award season, Bill. Yes. You've been watching your screeners? Uh, I have. Actually, I've, I've been giving them away to friends. And, Ooh, uh, I didn't say that. You're <laughs> <supposed> to. <laughs> Loaning them to friends. There you go. That's, <laughs> that's what we're looking for. Uh, the Green Book. Still your favorite. Uh, yeah, but it also got the producers. Yeah, game. it did. It did. Well, there's so we, we're talking about Golden our favorite Globes movies and the producers and the and the best movies of the year. Let's not forget, it's also the time of the year for the Golden Raspberry Awards, the Razzies, oh, the, worst, the worst movies of the year. And I'm bringing this up because there is one notable actor who has been nominated this year. The actor for a Razzie for a Razzie is Donald Trump. Uh-huh. Now, let me explain. <laughs> let me explain. They uh-huh. say that he has been in two different roles in two different movies in 2018. He was in Michael Moore's Fahrenheit 11.9 and mm. Dinesh D'Souza's Death of a Nation. So they nominated him for Worst <laughs> Actor in 2018. Not only that, they put on a little bit more and said he gets a third nomination for him, quote, for himself and his self-perpetuating pettiness in all films, end quote. So, uh, also nominated for Worst Supporting Actress, Melania Trump and Kellyanne Conway, because they, too, were also in Michael Moore's films. Stay tuned. We will find out on February 23rd who the winners will be. This past week, it was a big boxing match. I'm not a big boxing fan, but Manny Pacquiao... Who is 40 years old, beat a man 10 years his junior uh, in a boxing match, uh, a man uh, by the name of uh, Broner, Adrian Broner. Uh, So that's good news for Manny Pacquiao. He's still out there. He's still fighting. Bad news is during the fight, someone broke into his home. He was in the ring in Las Vegas, and someone broke into his house in Los Angeles, robbed his home. Uh, The police report was made. Uh, No arrests have been made as of yet. So I just hope he is not the one who catches the person that broke into his house because that would be a total ass whip. Do you think this guy knew whose house he was breaking into? Yeah, (laughs) that's a dumb criminal if he did. This is the Bill Press Show. Day 32. Day 32 now of the Trump shutdown. Uh, That's what it is. That's what we should be calling it because there's one man responsible for it. There's still no end in sight because Donald Trump says, unless you give me everything I want for the wall, for a permanent wall, the government is going to stay shut down. I repeat I haven't heard a lot of other people say it, but I do believe Donald Trump does not want the shutdown to end. That's one of the reasons it's dragged on so long. Maybe the number one reason. Hello, everybody. Happy Tuesday, January 22nd. Good to see you today. Thank you for joining us online. Thank you for joining us on television, Free Speech TV. Thank you for joining us on WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago on the radio, of course. Uh, Good to have you with us with so much to talk about and hear as a friend of Bill for this entire hour, a former Deputy Secretary of Labor under President Obama, uh, Chris Liu, now with the Miller Center at the University of Virginia 
And also, uh, you're a member of the DNC. I right? am. I, I'm one of the super delegates who took super away, delegate. I, yeah, who, oh. who took away our superpowers a while back. So yes, you're already a super delegate for the next convention. Yes. Okay. <laughs> by by virtue of being a member of the DNC. Uh, yes, by... but because I'm a DNC member, I'm a super delegate. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So do you have a candidate yet for 2020? Um, you know what? I, I, I've actually talked to a bunch of the candidates and talked to a bunch of the staff. I think at this point, mostly to give them the advice of how we started in Obama world. I was uh, Obama's legislative director in the Senate and was with him and when he made that decision back in 2007. And, you know, basically how we made the decision, sort of things to be aware of. Uh, I have not uh, I have not chosen a horse to ride on at this point. I want to see who else. Uh, makes a decision. So, so you were with Senator Obama in the in the, in the Senate, in yep. the Senate, mm-hmm. right? Okay, uh, and he faced a decision which several senators yeah. now are are weighing, right? Whether um, <clears throat> first of all, because it has not always been until since JFK to Obama, uh, the Senate has not been a, a no. very successful launching pad for presidential candidates. Why has that changed? Well, you know, look, I, I think um, candidly the bar on experience has gone down. Uh, and, you know, I think in part also because of the way that the House and Senate have changed. The Senate has not exactly been a model for legislating uh, in recent history. And the case was made to Senator Obama that you're not making yourself more politically viable by sitting here and voting on a lot of message bills, uh, a lot of meaningless amendments. And, you know, he can make a compelling case uh, based on his Senate experience and in particular on his opposition to the war in Iraq, which was really the distinguishing feature against Hillary Clinton back then. And I remember a conversation that he had with Dick Durbin, uh, the senior senator from Illinois back in 2006, where Durbin said, uh, you don't pick the time, the time picks you. Um, he had a message. Uh, he could make a credible case of experience and and decided that and, and it would be and it was, you know, you don't have a lot of times when you're not running against an incumbent president. So it would be a completely wide open field. Is um, is do you see the parallel between Barack Obama then and Kamala Harris now? Well, you know, it's funny. I sat down with Senator Harris um, about a week after she was um uh, sworn into the Senate in in virtually the same um, temporary basement office of the Dirksen Senate office building that I met with Barack Obama many, many years back, and <laughs> just to sort of give her thoughts on yeah. starting a career. And I, and I said to her candidly, when I meant, uh, you are far more qualified at this point to be president than Barack Obama was uh, in 2007. I mean, she had been a district attorney, the attorney general of the biggest state. She had far more experience at that time. Um, so I think you could draw some parallels, but in many ways, she is far more qualified. More qualified she, in, ter- it, it, in terms of what she brings. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, Obama had eight years of state Senate experience, two years in the U.S. Senate. She's She's been yeah. a prosecutor for a far longer period of time. And attorney general. Attorney general, of obviously. Say, of the, yeah. of the, yeah. of the longest state. So you you certainly weren't surprised when she, when she ran. No. No, nor have nor have I been surprised by the other people that have thrown their name in the hat. I mean, look, um, everyone has a theory of the case uh, of of which part of the Democratic Party they can appeal to. Everyone has a theory of the case about how you can raise the money, the organization. Uh, they all can't be right. Uh, but at this point, the downside of of throwing your hat in the ring is pretty minimal. And the what you said, it seems has been proven true. 
is the longer you stay if the longer you stay in the Senate does not necessarily add up to making you a better or or a more appealing Senate a presidential candidate and it could work in reverse correct oh, oh absolutely I think in many ways if you go back and look at John McCain his 2008 run he was probably a better candidate in 2000 when he ran against George W Bush amen he was a much more appealing candidate back then uh, you know, and obviously in this Trump era, we've completely lowered the bar on experience. And so, you know, whether it is Beto O'Rourke or Julian Castro, any one of them can make a credible case about how they have more experience than, than Trump has. Right. Um, what I find interesting is that for so long, and I, I, I myself, I think, belong to this school, we were looking, we Republicans and Democrats were looking to former either current or former governors right because they had the executive experience which is more of a parallel to president than senate well, or house I, right and i will tell you that and that is sort and of we're the, not doing that this well time. although that is one of the interesting wild cards you know whether it is jay inslee whether it's higginlooper whether it is terry mcauliffe you know inslee in particular someone who i've i know a little bit he can make a credible case that look I'm not I'm not just voting on climate change bills. I've actually taken action in Washington state. I've actually raised the minimum wage in Washington state. Um, here is what I have done in my state um, to fight back against the Trump administration. I'm not just casting votes. And I think McAuliffe can make sort of a similar case in terms of job creation in his state. So I think that's the interesting wild card is which governors jump in and whether that argument about experience versus values, visions, votes, uh, and how that plays out. Right. Now, uh, as a member of the DNC, um, we know, and I'm not holding you responsible because um, <laughs> because you were just a member, uh, but we know that the DNC got a lot of flack last time for uh, putting the thumb on the scale, yep. if you will, in, yeah. in, in favor of Hillary Clinton over Bernie Sanders in the primary. And Bernie made that, made that charge. A lot of people dismissed it, but I think Subsequent emails and facts prove yeah. that he was right. Uh, are you confident that the DNC is going to um, maintain a level playing field for all candidates this year? Well, you know, and we've talked about this because I, you know, when when I, I joined the DNC, when my former boss, Tom Perez, became chair, he he made me a, a member. It put me on the rules and bylaws committee. He was secretary of labor. You were deputy right. secretary. And so right. whatever Tom tells me to do, I do. <laughs> and uh, he put me on the rules and bylaws committee. And we spent the better part of a year trying to uh, examine uh, what the rules on superdelegates should be. And and frankly, this is something I saw back in 2007, 2008, because notwithstanding the fact that Obama had uh, 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 had raised a lot of money, had a lot of energy on the ground, you know, we we were continually facing this onslaught of superdelegates endorsing Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. And so I think how you view uh, the DNC, how you view partiality, how you view superdelegates really is based on you know what your first formative political experience. And for me, I've always been skeptical about who are these people and why do they have this power. So fortunately, the Rules and Bylaws Committee, uh, the superdelegates are now taken out of the mix. I can still endorse, uh, mm -hmm. but I don't have necessarily a vote when it comes to the convention. And then more recently, uh, Chairman Perez took steps so that the DNC staff themselves have to stay impartial. Now, 
God help the one person who has to enforce this and make sure that your cubicle yeah, right. doesn't have bumper stickers or whatever. But I think he really wants to ensure that the DNC is the honest broker. They've already set out the debate schedule, so everyone knows in advance what it is. Right. So the rules are going to be the same in that no one can game the rules later on. Right. And the first debate is scheduled, um, I, I don't think we have a date yet, for this June, June twenty eighth, which seems, 2019, which seems insane. Um, how are you going to decide who gets in the number one debate? <laughs> well, I think that's a good question for, for Tom when he comes back. I, I genuinely don't know. And I've. Uh, it's funny because last time... Uh, uh, I, I've asked the question, because last time I guest hosted for you, I asked the question to somebody in the DNC. I hope this is not the Republican version where they had kind of the varsity debate and the JV debate. That's not a good look either. And I think what they're going to do if they have to do it on two and nights. And that was based on popularity polls, right? right? Yeah. And so, you which, know. Which are meaningless. No, I know. Um, then again, I, I saw, you know, one of the funny recollections back from 2000, 2008, uh, 7, 2008 was – when we did debate prep for Obama, um, there were so many candidates. They just let a bunch of us staffers play different candidates. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, name from the past, I was assigned to play Mike Gravel. Do you oh, remember? my God. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's been on our show. <laughs> yeah, he has. Yeah. And, and so we, we each got um, a, a DVD of our research staff in the campaign yeah, had put yeah. together all of his clips. I got to watch all these wacky commercials he made. I read all these statements. And we would literally have 10 of us standing on stage. Somebody played Dennis Kucinich. Somebody played John Edwards. And we would just lob the craziest things at Barack Obama that we could. And it was a free-for-all. And that's what those first debates were like, a free-for-all. Um, and in some ways, that's what happened in the Republican primaries in 2015, 2016. Because of that free-for-all atmosphere, Trump really never had to stand up and, and right. give any policy yeah. positions yeah. and could right. sort of come up with a quick oh. zinger and then get the press attention. Yeah, exactly. All right. So Chris Liu with us from um, now the Miller Center at the the great Miller Center at the University of Virginia. Um, Chris, I want to. So let's get to shutdown because. One thing that intrigues me is that we're in day 32 of the Trump shutdown. You experienced as labor secretary, yeah. de secret, de deputy, shutdowns are very for a certain close. amount of yeah. time, yeah. right? Or close to shutdowns. So you, how did you prepare for those? Uh, or did you? Yeah, no, it's, it's a, so both in my position at the White House when I managed Obama's cabinet and later on when I was the deputy labor secretary, I had a big role in planning and executing potential shutdowns. So the way you start is you go back to what are you allowed to fund? Generally, the rule is health, health and safety. And at the Department of Labor, there's not a lot that really qualifies for health and safety. With the exception, uh, we have OSHA. So they do workplace safety investigations. So the routine investigations don't happen. But if somebody calls in a complaint or there's an emergency, you send people in. But that's relatively few people. So by and large of the 17,000 employees at the Department of Labor, most people would not work. Now, that, you know, labor is actually one of the funded agencies. It gets more complicated when you're looking at something like FDA inspections. I was or just going to say, how yeah. about agriculture, FDA Well, and this is the challenge because every agency has a plan of who works, what functions continue. And then every time you go or prepare for a shutdown, you examine the plan and see whether it still makes sense. And so largely the plans that the Trump people are using are ones that we 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 planned for them, that we drafted for them. The problem is um, 
FDA is a perfect example. So food inspections, routine food inspections are not happening, but high-risk inspections are happening. The challenge is if you've now gone 30-some days without routine food inspections, right. you're yeah. now starting to encroach upon health and safety issues. So in some sense, the fact that the Trump administration is starting that back up again probably has some justification because you really look at uh, on day one what the shutdown plan is and you're constantly reevaluating. That being said, the idea that they're bringing back IRS workers to process refunds probably doesn't fall under the exception. Uh, a lot of the that's uh, just purely political. That's purely political. And and here's the challenge is because the, the law on this is murky enough that they could probably make some claim. And frankly, it's probably not in the Democrats' interest to really say that, you know, what the American people should be denied their tax refunds. And so there's a little bit of a game going on here. And the but challenge they're is fine tuning the shutdown in order to um, uh, in response to political flack. Right. Right. It's it's a game of whack-a-mole. Like, for instance, there's yeah. been the story about how uh, <laughs> domestic violence shelters are running out of money. And yesterday or two days ago, the Trump administration said, OK, now we found some more money. And, yeah, and, and, right. and so they'll deal with that one. Food stamps will be the next one that'll come down the road. Um, they, 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 they did this fix about a week ago for the mortgage industry, which wasn't getting their paperwork processed. So they're going to do these little fixes. And the irony is that the more fixes they do, the longer the shutdown goes on because sure. a lot of the impacts won't be apparent sure. to the American people. Right. No. Meanwhile, they the get federal... rid of these hot spots, right? right? And then there's there, then there's says le, le, less pressure, less criticism, right. and the shutdown continues. And meanwhile, there are eight hundred thousand okay. people who were about to miss their second paycheck. And what is the impact on them? Well, it, look, it's I, you know I know this from my time at the Department of Labor. One of a very good employee, a good friend of mine who is an employee, uh, was a paycheck to paycheck person there, and in the twenty thirteen shutdown, uh, had to take out a payday loan that took him the better part of six months to a year to pay off. Or I go regularly to a chiropractor. I was at my chiropractor last week. One of the people sitting behind the desk was a furloughed State Department worker who works in the Bureau of Military and Political Affairs. And he is now sitting behind the desk at a chiropractor's office trying to make ends meet. And this is not how we should treat our public servants. Uh, and so you're going to have that ripple effect. You've obviously got the federal contractors who aren't getting paid. Next Friday, we're going to see the first... Uh, right. Jobs numbers, and so we'll have we'll have a sense about what how this affects the overall economy, but it could be significant. Right. Okay. So here, <laughs> sound like a I know we sound like a one trick pony this morning, but I I want to get your take on my take as to how to end the shutdown, which is for one day, the air traffic controllers and the TSA employees to stay home. You know, and that is, I mean, this now, is... legally they're not allowed to, right? Well, right. except if they all get sick on the same day, Bill. They all get sick on the same day. It happens. It happens. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, I, it's a cold, it's it, it's pretty cold in Chicago right now. If everyone decides in the Chicago area, I'm not, I got a little scratchy throat and doesn't show up at O'Hare. No, I think that's, <laughs> that is functionally what will happen. It, it has to be something dramatic. It has to be, you know a food outbreak of something. It's got to be, you know, something ha horrible happening in a national park. And you don't want these things to happen. But it, it, something needs to jar the American people to take action. It's got to jar members of Congress and the president to finally say, you know what, enough is enough. Don't the workers have the power if they want to exercise it? Well, I, you know, look, I, I'm not sure I know what the... I, I will tell you this, that TSA yesterday said 10% of their employees right. called yes. in sick. I, I can't tell you that... 
I can't tell you that seems a little high. Um, yeah. It is high, <laughs> I, high so, but maybe, but not high enough. Maybe not high enough. But so yeah, I mean, Ronald Reagan famously fired all the air traffic right. controllers and replaced them. But you know, if there were one day sick out, if you will, whatever you want right. to call it, not a strike, but a sick out, then. Uh, it would shut down air, certainly shut down air travel in this country. And, oh, it absolutely and shut down the economy. For and one and frankly, you only you, you know you only need to do it at one or two airports around the country. If you did Atlanta and Chicago, that would be more than enough. That's right. It wouldn't have to be uh, yeah. every every airport. You know, you mentioned but, this yesterday when we were talking about the teams going to the Super Bowl, and we had another clip earlier today about someone saying that this could disrupt travel for the Super Bowl. Boy, you really want to screw with America? Screw with our Super Bowl. <laughs> Screw with <laughs> in fact, football. In fact, let's listen to this is again. This is uh, Sarah Nelson. You know her. I know she's okay. the head of the flight attendants yeah. union. Great person. She's been a guest on the show here, saying how this is all starting to unravel. And as this starts to uh, crumble and unravel, we're going to see mass flight cancellations. We're going to see a system that completely unravels and falls apart. We will not have private jets taking off to get people to the Super Bowl. No one will be able to get to Atlanta. This is going to have a massive economic impact. So she's saying just the way it's going now, it's already right. starting to crumble. Yeah. Right. You know, and you wish it wouldn't have to get to this point. I mean, you, you wish, yeah, you know, but- you know, 800,000 federal workers. It's something like 16 times the number of coal miners that are in this country right now. You, you, you wish uh, somebody would care about their plight and what this says about public service. But sadly, it it does take something very dramatic uh, to get the change we need. And, you know, you mentioned your friend um, uh, at the Labor Department, paycheck to paycheck. Uh, that's not unusual. And oh. certainly now we're talking yeah. without anything coming in, right? But they still have <laughs> groceries to buy, mortgage to pay, car, car, you know, car payment due. And, and let's not – and again – Ask anyone whether you can go a month without a paycheck. But then, but then, and I always say this: don't forget the federal contract workers. Think about the janitors, the cafeteria mm. workers, the cleaning people. All of those people who worked at the labor department were all contract employees, and they're not working. They're never going to get back pay. And so, w- when you Ooh. think about yeah. the, the 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 impact on the economy, those are and those are largely low wage people. Now, like, look, obviously, there's big consultants at Booz Allen and other places that aren't getting paid. I'm concerned about the low-wage workers, and there are a lot more of them who are either federal employees or contractors than I think most people understand. Are the furloughed employees going to get paid? Yeah, uh, Yes, they will get back paid. Pay? They will get back paid. The, the question is, you know, and so uh, when you're looking at the economic numbers next Friday, it's going to be a little misleading because you probably will see a, again, depending on how long this goes on, this quarter, this month, will definitely take a dent. The question is how much bounce back there is when people start spending money again. And, you know, it's always the question, and we debated this in December before the shutdown began, who's going to get the blame? Um, there's no doubt about this. Every every poll right. shows that the blame, people do blame Donald Trump right. and Republicans. Right. And this is day 32. So it doesn't matter, I guess. No, and it, and it doesn't right. matter. And you know, he's put out a proposal, um, and I should say proposal in question marks, an offer. Um, it's really not going to go anywhere. It's really not much of a deal. Uh, it is essentially what they released last night is kind of Stephen Miller's wish list on immigration, yeah, um, yeah. with a fig leaf, a tiny, tiny fig leaf um, around uh, a DACA and DP- TPS. It's really not much. Um, yeah, the we, we've talked about this so much yesterday, but it, it, the permanent wall. Permanent wall, right? And then three years for DACA. Yeah. And, and let's not forget, the Supreme Court 
decided not to take up the DACA case. So the soonest they would next take it up is next October. And so likely we have DACA for at least another year. So really you're offering three years versus one year, which is better. Now, look, if Trump were to put a permanent DACA fix on the table, yeah, then, that let's ha- then let's have a conversation. It would be a different conversation. It would be a it? much different conversation. Right. Yeah. Uh, but again, Stephen Miller is not going to let him do no, that. No, he will not. And nor, nor, frankly, will his base allow him. And you already saw the Ann Coulters of the world going ballistic the other night. So, Right. You know, related to the economy, there was a story yesterday that didn't get much attention. And um, I forget who put this report out. But it was a report that, um, oh, I know, it's, it's related to Davos, right? So at the opening of yep. this report came out, which showed that 26 billionaires, I've seen this report, on the planet, 26 billionaires today have as much wealth as 3.8 billion people. Yeah. 26 of them, 3.8 billion over here. And not only that, but the amount of wealth for the three point, for the 26 uh, went up right. uh, like over the last uh, five or six years. $3.4 trillion went up while for the 3.8 billion people, the, the amount of wealth that they had actually declined by 11%. Yeah. What does that tell you about? Talk about income inequality. No, and, right? and I think it's one Things of these. Really screwed up. No, and it, and it's it's one of the things that we always talk about. You know, when you look at the economy, the U.S. economy, and you look at you know job growth, economic growth, it all looks very positive. But then when you look b- b- beneath the numbers, the macroeconomics, you know, it, it's something like forty percent of Americans can't come up with four hundred dollars for an emergency expense. Yeah, the number of people that live paycheck to paycheck, the fact that wages have been stagnant in this country for 20 years while the cost of everything else has gone up. And so, yes, the economy is doing well, but by and large, people are not feeling better in their lives. And that's in the United States. And then when you extrapolate this around the world, the vast majority of these people, majority of people in this world are not doing very well. Yeah. And that's why you have all the social unrest uh, and the populist uprisings. And I'm not necessarily um, out there beating the drum for income redistribution, kind of, or whatever, but uh, I, I wonder... It what the question I have about these twenty six billion, twenty six billionaires. What are they doing with their money, too? <laughs> right? I mean, some of them, like the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, are just buying two hundred million dollar yachts yeah. and the most expensive house in Paris ever, uh, and the biggest. I mean, you know, just self indulgence. Yeah. Right? No, and that's then why you've got people like Warren Buffett. I guess he's a billionaire. Yeah, must be no, a billionaire. he certainly is. Yeah. And, and Bill Gates and others who are doing some really important, wonderful things with their money. Uh, so I'm not condemning them for being wealthy. No, but. And, and look, I, and I give Gates and Buffett and others like them who have taken this giving pledge to say, you know, we're right. basically going to yeah. give away the vast majority, if not all of our wealth. Uh, you know, Michael Bloomberg is actually putting his money behind a, a lot of important causes. It is the irony is that we have a billionaire as president who may possibly be one of the cheapest billionaires there is. I mean, there's no evidence that he's given any money to anything other than, uh, you know, whatever his fraudulent foundation comes up with. Right, they, so- had to shut, they, had to shut, <laughs> they had to shut down his foundation, right, because they were making so many fraudulent <laughs> claims about money that he had given away, which he had not given away. He had spent the money that he had. On, um, there was a big painting that he bought. Yeah, yeah buying, buying portraits of himself yeah. or putting a flagpole in front of Mar-a-Lago, right? And then uh, and other money that he gave. He was getting money from other people, yeah. putting it in his foundation, yeah. giving their money away. Not was 
wasn't yeah. any of his money. Yeah. I, the, the other person I he think is about, a cheapskate. Yeah. The other person I think about a lot is David Rubenstein, who's given away. Oh, he's done incredible. A, yeah. But but you know, in da- Eli Brode. Right. In, you know, uh, David Angeles. Rubenstein has given money to fix um, the Washington Monument and Monticello and all. Right. And he's helping to repair our national treasures, <laughs> which is wonderful. But it does beg the question: Why are we relying on a lot of rich people yep. to take care of these? Uh, these treasures that should last for centuries. We've right. got the money. The right. government should right. be doing that. No, the Washington Monument, <laughs> right, uh, badly damaged in the in the earthquake, however many, 10 years ago, whatever it was. And it's reopened. And of course, it's closed now because right. of Donald Trump's shutdown, <laughs> the Trump shutdown. But it reopened thanks to David Rubenstein. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, not to the park service, no. not to the federal government. No, and you look at the work that Bill Gates is doing on uh, on malaria and AIDS around the world, and you're like, this is fantastic work, but really, isn't this the job of government to do a lot of this? So, yeah, Mr. President, listen, uh, Chris Lou with us as a friend of Bill for the entire hour, and when we come back, we're going to be joined. Take a quick break. We'll be joined by Eliza Collins. This is a big day when Mitch McConnell, the uh, House and the Senate, coming back. Uh, they were supposed they were going to be on break all week, but they decided that that would look bad if we were home playing while there was a government shutdown going on. Uh, so Mitch McConnell says today's the day for the big vote on the uh, Trump proposal. We'll get into that. Chris Liu and Eliza Collins. A quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. You bet it is on a Tuesday, January 22nd. Uh, hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us here as we wrap up uh, our program with uh, looking at the news of the day from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., where we're brought to you today by the United Steelworkers and the one and only president of the Steelworkers, Leo Gerard. We know him well, Chris. He's great. Great guy. Great guy. A great uh, fighter for working families in this country and head of the United Steelworkers, the USW, North America's largest industrial union, representing over 1.2 million active and retired members. Uh, Chris Liu here um, from the Miller Center at the University of Virginia, former Deputy Secretary of Labor under President Obama, and joined now by our good friend from USA Today, covering Congress for USA Today, Eliza Collins. Eliza, nice to see you. Nice to be so here. So this is the um, big day, right, coming coming back. They, they usually have a Martin Luther King week. Right. Congress gave themselves, that. they canceled that, right. Uh, bad you know, optics, huh? The government has been shut down now over a month, so I don't think it would look great if they took the week off. Um, that's what they decided. I think they were right about that. Uh, and so they're coming back, and Mitch McConnell has vowed, and President Trump announced on Saturday that as part of his putting out this proposal uh, that Mitch McConnell was going to bring it up for a vote today. Is that going to happen? Can they do it today? He can't. Um, they can't vote on it today, but uh. he can start the process today. They basically released mm-hmm. bill text last night and said there will be scheduling updates, but um, they're going to do it as soon as they can. So there is movement this week. It's just in two opposite directions. Mitch McConnell is bringing up the bill that President Trump wants in the Senate, which is likely to go nowhere. Um, because Democrats have said it's a non-starter. And then meanwhile, in the Democratic-controlled House, Democrats are going to bring up bills of their own to reopen the government, this time with some border security money for ports of entry, um, more immigration judges, but no money for the wall, which the president has said is a non-starter. So basically, we're moving, but just two opposite directions at different chambers. And didn't uh, Chris Mitch McConnell like try to sweeten the 
pot a little bit by throwing in some things the Democrats have been talking about. Yeah, you know, he put in um, uh, continuing DACA for three years, um, doing something on TPS. Um, again, it's not enough, and as we discussed in the last half hour, as long as it's a temporary fix, it's really not a conversation starter. If he really wants to do something about the 800,000 Dreamers, then I think we could have a conversation. Are there any signs that, um, first of all, Liza, that any Democrats would go for the president's proposal? I have not seen any over the weekend, though I do think it puts some pressure on, especially in the Senate, some of those moderate Democrats who just say someone like Joe Manchin or Kirsten Sinema were up. Um, They might be more willing to vote for it, but they just won in red states, but they've got six more years. So I imagine you'll see Democrats mostly stick together. You may see a couple people break, but probably not enough to pass the legislation. Uh, And any Republicans break ranks? Right now, Republicans are sticking pretty close together. I imagine you will see a few, especially in the House, you'll see some crossover, which Democrats have been trying to do. We've seen about a dozen. A dozen, didn't they? Yeah, I don't yeah. think you'll see many more. You may see someone like Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins. Um, they've been vocal about the need to reopen the government. But the truth is for them, the president, they're saying the president is being more generous than he was before, which he did expand his deal, though not far enough for Democrats. So I can't imagine many Republicans would vote against it, but they might still be willing to vote for a clean bill if that were to come up. So which that's it won't. the question. It, it, I mean, if there were actually a side by side where you voted on the Trump proposal and a clean bill, the one that the Senate voted on December 19th, it's pretty clear which one would get more votes. But the question is whether McConnell would allow that amendment. Probably not. No, no, no. he won't. He has said basically McConnell was embarrassed when he passed, he allowed the Senate to pass um, a bill to re. Keep the government funded back in December. A hundred to nothing, correct? It was unanimous. I believe Unani- it, I well, think however. a couple people weren't there, right, but yeah, unanimous. yes, unanimous. unanimous. Yeah. Um, and he, they, by every indication, they thought the president would sign it. So they passed it through, sent it over to the House, and then Trump said, I'm not going to sign that. And so then the House sent back a bill that matched what the president wanted, that went nowhere in the Senate. So McConnell said, I'm not doing that again. I want the president saying he'll sign it, which he said over the weekend he would sign this deal. So that's why the president's bringing it up. There's lots of internal pressure. I mean, I've talked to lots of Democrats who say McConnell should just bring it up. It would pass. And then, of course, it would pass the House. I mean, after all, Donald Trump, as you just pointed out, pulled the rug out from under Mitch McConnell, embarrassed him from the entire country, having told him the White House was giving the signals. We remember that well because it was the last day that I was here before the Christmas holidays, right. and that's when the White House was saying we can go along with this. The Senate passed it. At the, at Paul Ryan at the time was saying we're going to get it right. through the House, and I, I thought- announced there was going to be. No shutdown because everybody right. had agreed. Well, and the and then, Democrats were singing Christmas carols on the floor. It was this yes. very like, all right, tying up loose ends, going home for Christmas vibe. Right. And that is not what happened. The president changed his mind. The president has been saying that he wanted his what? wall and McConnell and Ryan were able to push him off, push him off, push him off until the midterm. So, and after the midterm. So, Chris, it's hard out. for you and me to put ourselves in their shoes. But, you know, try for why were these? Why did these Senate Republicans hang so tight with Donald Trump? When again, the public opinion polls show, not that all decisions ought to be made by by polls, but you know they're 
clearly getting the blame for the shutdown. And it's but it's interesting if you look at the polls, you know, it's like 50 some percent blame Trump, like 30 some percent blame congressional Democrats and like 5 percent blame congressional Republicans. They, they've become sort of a side story in all of this. Now, look, I mean, there is, you know, some of this will actually end up reflecting on them in a bad way if this continues on. But for most of them, they're more concerned about their base. You know, shutdowns, the, the, the lasting political impact of shutdowns, it certainly affects presidents. It's unclear how much it affects Congress. Mm. Well, you have to admit that some of these and I think I saw a story on that this morning. Some of these people who are not getting paychecks are members of Donald Trump's base. Got to be, right? Uh, you know, there are federal employees in all 435 districts. They're in all 50 states. I mean, they're, you know, in, in the reddest of red places, there are a lot of federal employees. And, and particularly when you look at the benefits of, like, food stamp benefits, I mean, that really yeah. goes right to his well, base. Even if they're not federal employees, they are people maybe who are not getting benefits that Absolutely. they depend on. Yeah. Uh, whether it's health care of some sort yeah. or, or or food stamps or whatever or even but it, it's the same it's the same dynamic you you see on tariffs as well you see farmers sticking by Trump notwithstanding the fact they're feeling an economic pain because of tariffs right uh, we want I just as important as this is is and we'll get right back to it there is some breaking news right now and the Academy Awards are yeah. being announced <laughs> we do have the, they they so. just finished announcing the nomination so I'm going to go through some of the big categories because we've got them all let's start with supporting actress uh, Amy Adams for Vice uh, Regina King for If Beale Street Could Talk Marina De Tavira for Roma which is the movie on Netflix unbelievable uh, I haven't yeah. watched it yet oh, I haven't watched God. it yet no, I know I hear incredible. it's just amazing. Yeah. Uh, Emma Stone for The Favorite, Rachel Weiss also for The Favorite. Let's go quickly to um, supporting actor Mahershala Ali for The Green Book, done, Adam Driver done, done. for Black Klansman, Sam Elliott, A Star is Born, Richard E. Grant, Can You Ever Forgive Me, and Sam Rockwell, who played George W. Bush, mm -hmm. in, Vice. in Vice. He's good. He's, He's very good. good in that. All right, we're going to jump up to leading actor Christian Bale playing Dick Cheney in Vice. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing <laughs> yeah. performance, absolutely. I thought. Yeah. I, I think he's the front runner. I thought the movie had some problems, but he was great. He was great. Bradley Cooper, A Star is Born, Willem Dafoe, Eternity's Gate, Rami Malek, who played Freddie Mercury in Bohemian Rhapsody, mm -hmm. and of course, Bill. Viggo Mortensen in Green Book. Uh, yeah, that's tough, man. That's Leading actress, uh, Yelitsa Aparicio for Roma, Glenn Close mm. in The Wife, Olivia Coleman in The Favorite, Lady Gaga in A Star is Born, <laughs> and Melissa McCarthy in Can You Ever Forgive Me? And then let's just get to the big category, All Best right. Picture. Vice, A Star is Born, Roma, Green Book, The Favorite, Bohemian Rhapsody, Black Klansman, and Whoa. and Black Panther. No, it's nominated for <laughs> oh best picture. God. Oh my god! Wow. So there you go. There are the Whoa. the main ones, the big ones for the Academy Awards. Mm -hmm. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there you have you it. You get to vote here. Well, I, I have not seen a lot of them. I was going to say, Liza, I have not seen a lot of them either. Actually, I'm like, I got to get watching. I know. Yeah. Uh, I've seen enough that I'd vote. I mean, it okay, would be tough, would but I mean, the, the ones that, you know, Roma is phenomenal. Okay. I still have yeah. to watch Roma. Uh, the Green Book is wonderful. Wonderful. It's just spectacular. And I liked Vice, too. I mean, I, well, I didn't like it, but I must say, the acting is superb. Yeah. That's what I've really heard about superb. Vice. It's kind of, it's like a, it's I'd, worth seeing, but people don't. 
It's Love not it. as good as The Big Short. Uh, the acting, I think, is fantastic. I don't think the story is done. I, I Look, as much as I dislike Dick Cheney, I don't think we could put all of society's ills at his feet. You know, I have the same feeling about that. I, I put a lot of them at his feet. I know. I felt it was hard for me to say, but I thought it was almost too tough on Dick Cheney. <laughs> as much as I dislike him and think oh, he's, no. pure, I think he's pure evil. It, the movie sort of made it less out like, right? Satan, Satan personified. So, but uh, if if I, I could not pronounce her name, if the actress, the head of the star of Roma, gets that, what an incredible story! This is a young woman who, you know, didn't have a job, yeah. and somebody said, "Hey, they're trying, they're, they're looking for somebody to play this role. Why don't you, why don't you throw your name in?" She tried to talk a friend into it. A friend didn't do it, and so she did. And it was just a quirk that she got this starring role. And then she said, "Well." They needed somebody to play her best friend in the movie. She said, well, I'd be more comfortable if my best friend in real life played my best friend in the movie. And here the two of them are both nominated for the Academy Award. Wow. It's an incredible story. Yeah. Peter, that was an impressive uh, pronunciation. Yeah. I don't know if you, you actually uh, uh, practice or you just do that with great certainty. Uh, 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 well, let me just be, let me just be clear. I could be wrong. <laughs> but he sounded so certain. Right. It sounded right, didn't yeah. it? It sounded yeah. like it's probably right. Uh, the leading actress, Lisa Aparicio. Lisa Aparicio. I'm very sure of that. Project confidence. Yes. Yeah. All right. So, so there we are. Well, you know, depending on whether or not the shutdown's still going on and people can't own planes to L.A., there may or may not be an Academy Award ceremony this year. Uh, I, they'll still manage it, <laughs> oh I guess. Gosh. Somehow, uh, so when's this vote going to happen? Back to the shutdown. Uh, if if it's introduced today or whatever, they ha- they need what forty eight hours. So they need to. It depends how McConnell does it. If he allows, it's I oh. assume it'll be a close process. Um, but then they'll still have to vote to open up debate. That's thirty hours. Then they'll have the vote. So we're looking midweek, likely. Um, they could they can speed it up, but they can't speed it up quite that much. Right. And then again, I don't know exactly when the House will vote for their reopening. Tonight is they come back. Both don't have votes until later this afternoon in the Senate or tonight in the House. So we'll see things really probably start to move tomorrow, Thursday. And in the meantime, Chris, at the for the Democrats, I, I did see one comment, one Democratic uh, uh, senator uh, pointing out that this is a proposal even though Jared Kushner and Mike Pence were up on the at the, at, the, at the Capitol mm-hmm. last week, they did not negotiate. This was not negotiated with any Democrats, right? This was not right, getting people you know, in the no, room I mean, and trying I mean, to look, work something out. This was sort of handed to them. Huh? It was handed to them. I mean, look, I, Trump did invite a group of um, moderate Democrats yeah. last week. Right. They, 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 the first group didn't show up. The second group did show up. It's not clear that it was anything other than show. What is interesting is but, that I mean, the sen- they were House members too. Right, seven of them, I think, who, who ended up going down from the Problem Solvers Caucus. Right. But in the Senate, senators have not been in, no been no. consulted. Right. As I mean, the Senate really has been right. on the sidelines for, for all of this right. conversation. Yeah, as far as I know, the Senate hasn't been consulted. And the truth is, Pence and Kushner can negotiate all they want, but it's Trump changes his mind constantly. I mean, I was. Pence met with reporters, I believe it was last week now, maybe two weeks ago, on the Hill to sort of explain what was happening. And at that point, we said, is DACA on the table? And Pence said, no, the president wants to wait. Um, And then two hours later, the president said, I think I'd look at DACA. So it's like, I think if you're negotiating with Pence and Kushner, whoever you are, in the back of your head, you're like, well, is Trump going to 
torpedo this deal, which we have seen happen many times with immigration, right? There were deals before. There was a Senate deal that had the votes that included wall money, more wall money, and also a DACA fix. And the White House said they wouldn't sign it, and the deal died. So this is a more narrow and more limited bill, and I just don't see Democrats getting on board. The the thing that I always go back to is go back to that January 2018 meeting with um, uh, members of Congress that Trump did in the cabinet room where Dianne Feinstein says to him, you know, how about a clean DACA bill? And, And Trump says... Okay, and then Kevin McCarthy, you could literally see him jump yeah, out of his yeah, seat and said, Mr. Yeah. President, really what we need to do is, and, and so even in the course of one meeting, he is changing his mind. That was an amazing meeting. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. and then right, <laughs> on, the, on, right. on camera, remember, he let the cameras roll. Right. Uh, Kevin McCarthy said, Mr. President, you don't want to do that. Right, exactly. And Trump right away said, oh, okay, I changed my mind. Hey, Eliza, can I ask you, you did a great piece in the USA Today yesterday, and I think we want to give a Thank little you. shout out. It's basically about... <laughs> These bipartisan relationships <laughs> on the Hill that are formed right. over, you know, working out together or prayer. Um, I I think that's wonderful. I, I I'm always curious as to whether that actually leads to results. And I think your article suggested there's a lot of it, it's a it's a way to ha- to bridge parties, but it hasn't really led to anything. Yeah, I will say that it did lead to something in 2013. Um, So the government shut down in 2013 for 16 days. And it ended because senators, Susan Collins calls them the common sense coalition, basically moderate senators on both sides came together and hashed out a deal. But that started because there's been a dinner group of female senators for like decades. It was started by Barbara Mikulski. And, um, you know, every six weeks they get together at someone's house and various locations. Susan Collins said she hosted it once at the Library of Congress. And they just have like a get to know you dinner. And it builds all off the record. All all off the record. No staff. What is it? No staff. No leaks. No memos. Maybe I think it's just like a get to know you become friends dinners. And those really have paved the way for lots of legislation. And so she gave this speech in 2013 outlining how she thought they could reopen the government She said the first few people to call her were female senators from both parties, and that started a deal, and it broadened out. I don't think it's going to happen this time, and they don't think this is going to happen this time Hmm. because it is between, at the end of the day, Trump and Pelosi. And I know lots of people point McConnell could put this to the floor, and he definitely could, and it could get votes, but Trump has the veto pen in the end. And so there is real frustration from lawmakers who do have these friendships, who do have this trust, which I think— The average person just doesn't really know that every morning at 630 in the morning, like 15 House members get together in the House gym, including Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader, and Tulsi Gabbard, one of the most progressive members of Congress, and do like really hard circuit training led by a former mixed martial artist fighter um, every day. And they're like really good friends, but then they go and they go to their corners when they vote. And so that's not going to reopen the government. And I love the line, if you talk politics, they make you like run extra laps or something. Yeah, yeah. They do not talk politics. In fact, so it's led by Mark Wayne Mullen, who is like a conservative Oklahoma congressman. And but he leads this circuit training. And he said, I said, you guys really don't talk politics at all. I mean, like nothing. It's every day. And he's like, no, (laughs) Tulsi Gabbard is running for president. And she's like a longtime member of the group, shows up every day. And they said, we haven't even talked about the fact that she's running for president. He did say they all suspected that she was going to run. It's not like (laughs) a shock. 
but they haven't said, hey, saw your announcement this weekend. All right, I want to come back to something you said. What time do they get together? 6.30 in the morning. And I will say that... You know, when I, when it I helps come, if you're all sleeping in your offices in the house, too. Well, <laughs> right, you just yeah. wander downstairs. Yeah, that's true. I mean, when I come in here about 6.15 or so, Washington time, this Orange Theory place across the street. Oh, yes. It's hopping. Oh, it is hopping. The first yeah. class, I think, is at 6 a.m. Actually, 5. 5? I've done 5 a.m. Orange Theory. Wow. <laughs> Whoa. Do you get that, Peter? Yeah, wow. 5 a.m. Orange Theory. Do that before you come in here. <laughs> The one right, the one right around, across the street. If no, I'd I did the one closer to my house. If I had wow. known that they started at five, I would have signed up. I'll see <laughs> you there tomorrow at five, Bill. <laughs> right, right. I'll see you there tomorrow at five. <laughs> we're done yeah. by six. We're here. We're on the air at seven. Come on. Wow. No problem. Yeah, well, that's intense. And Kirsten intense. Cinema, now a senator, teaches, um, still teaches in the house gym, and she teaches about a half dozen people nearby on the floor. I don't know, it's a private gym, so I can't see the layout. But she teaches another bipartisan class, and that in the started- gym, In the Senate or the- House gym, uh, House still. gym, yeah. And that started because she used to do spin classes for fundraisers, and Kevin McCarthy said, I don't want to go to your fundraiser. I mean, I'm sure he said it nicer than this, but yeah. I don't want to go to your fundraisers. You should start teaching in the House gym. And so they're all working out together, joking, you know, friends, but then it doesn't matter because things are so deeply partisan- at the legislative level. It would be nice if, if they could maybe carry that camaraderie or something to some common sense negotiations. But I will say, like, some of the senators have been trying to negotiate, right? They've been having those meetings. Well, but th- Yeah, so, so that's, that's another question for both of you, is that at, at some point, don't these members re- feel that they've abandoned their job as a member of Congress? I mean, they are an equal branch of government, right? And the idea, as Mitch expressed by Mitch McConnell, we're not going to do anything unless the president tells us ahead of time that he'll sign whatever we pass. What the hell, right? I mean, yeah, no, there's that contradiction plus, with McConnell that I'm not going to pass a bill that won't become law, so I won't pass the House funding bill, but I will pass the president's proposal, which won't become law because the House won't pass it. But I do think yeah, you're right. I mean, it's one yeah. of the frustrations why you hear these rumors that Manchin might run for governor again, because being a U.S. senator is is not the most fulfilling job right now. Yeah, I mean, right, you're at the but, mercy of the president. Sure, but you don't have. I mean, I think you've pointed out too that you don't know what Trump's going to do. I mean, right. whatever no, he says, if, 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 if the Senate and the House passed it, and he let's say the worst thing he could do is veto it, right? Or he could let it become law without his signature, or he could sign it. You never know what Trump's going to do if if the Congress passes right. it. It seems to me you could make an argument. He's, even as a Republican, look, our job is to do what we think is right for the country. But and then the base, their base, the thinks what the president is doing is right. And that's okay. who they're tied to right now. Okay. But there was, for, Lisa Murkowski, I will say, um, has some of the highest number of federal workers in yeah, Alaska, she right? Yeah, she actually. And there was, I think in the Washington Post yesterday, she was expressing that exact frustration, like, I don't know, my Republican colleagues have federal workers, I don't know why they're sticking with the president, but she was like the only one. Chris, tell me I'm wrong. I think the biggest myth in American politics today is the Trump base. 
Well, I don't we, think it's as strong or as big as people say it is. I mean, I think when I you... Think, I call BS on the Trump base. Well, he was elected president, I will say. He, he'd not, he, won't, he would not be reelected today, I don't believe. I, it was the NPR Marist poll from last week that said 57% of Americans definitely will not... Registered voters definitely will not vote for Donald Trump. The, the, the percent that will definitely vote for him is about 30%. I think that really is the core of his base right now. But I think on even on this, you know, I think if Wait, I have to, to interrupt you because he just he just tweeted about that Marist poll that you mentioned. Yeah. Oh, right. did he? Marist poll shows President Trump's approval rating among Latinos going to fifty percent, an increase in one year of nineteen percent. Thank you, working hard. Yeah, I, I maybe it's the fifty percent of the undocumented people that work at his <laughs> no, resorts. No, no, no. That's a bogus poll. total BS. And and by the way, the same poll does show. I think that's the poll you find out that fifty percent of them would not vote for him. Right. So he's bragging about the fact that supposedly... Well, he's always done that with polls, right? He picks the polls he likes or the one line in the poll that's been his his thing all along. Well, um, we're sort of out of time here. So, Eliza, your job is to go down there and get this this gang. (laughs) Tell them to get their stuff together, pass the damn thing, and let Donald Trump sign it or not sign it. At least least then we know really who's responsible. Uh, great to see you. Thanks for coming Thank in. Thank you Chris, for Luke, me. Always fun. When you're not in this chair. Yes. All right. And you do such a great job when you fill in. So thank you. And thank thanks you. for coming in today. Always. Now, uh, this Tuesday is all yours. Up to you. Make the most of it. Come back and see us again tomorrow, though, because we will be looking this for you. This is The Bill Press Show.